Uh, there's a popular children's uh, book, series made into movies, set in a very posh uh, private school, and the children have all sorts of adventures together. And one of the things that the principal always says to the students is, help will always be given. Does anyone know the answer? Help will always be given to those that ask. Those who knew that, I now know what kind of nerd you are. Help will always be given to those that ask. And he always says this in almost every book. And every time through the book, the children get into all this mischief and adventures and they get to the end and the principal says to them, well, why didn't you ask for help? (laughs) I would have been able to help you if you had asked. In my family, we've done, um, we've taken this lesson and we try to teach our children. We've got so many children that we can't just have them stand around crying and they us have to guess what's wrong. So our children are learned, we, we drum into them these words, what do you do when you need help? What do you do when you need help? Ask. So if I walk into a room and there's a child crying, I don't try to guess what the problem is. I say to them, what's the problem And when they tell me the problem, I say, and what do you do if you need help? I have to ask. So what's the problem? The thing is on the shelf and I can't reach it. Would you like some help? Yes. And then I stand there and wait. And eventually the child will say, Dad, can you please help me get the thing down off the shelf? And I'll say, sure, of course, I'd love to. That's something we do in our family. Your family might do things differently. But in our family, we find it good to encourage our children that when they need help, They need to ask. If you need help, you need to ask for it. You can't just wait and hope someone will come along and solve your problem. This week, I saw on someone's Facebook page, Letitia, this little cartoon came up. Can you read it? Probably not. It's Pooh and Piglet walking through the snow. And Piglet says, Pooh, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? Pooh replies, help. The bravest thing I've ever said is help. Now, because I'm that sort of person, I, won't, I don't remember that in any of the Pooh and Piglet books that I've ever read. So I searched in it. Actually, somebody has stolen it from another book and turned it into Pooh and Piglet so they can have more likes on Facebook. So that's the way Facebook works. But this is from a book called The Boy, The Horse, The, the Mole and The Fox, I think. And yes, what is the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. And this is a good reminder to us that if you need help, the best thing you can do is ask for help. If you've got a problem, you need to ask. Help will always be given to those who ask. What's the bravest thing you ever said? Help. Jesus says something very similar, doesn't he? Jesus' way of putting it in in the Sermon on the Mount is, or Sermon by the Lake in Luke, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. If you're looking for something or if you need something or if you uh, have a requirement, is there something that you need to fix in your life? Jesus says, well, ask and seek and knock. Keep on asking and seeking and knocking. Keep on looking. Keep on calling on me. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4 begins with with Jesus teaching by the lake. We read it before. Let's say it again as we say it every week. The time has come, he said. Very good. 
Very good. So when Jesus is teaching, he's teaching about the kingdom of God and what that means and calling on people to repent and believe. And so over the course of chapters 4 and 5, we've gone through, yes, the story of the storm, Jesus calming the storm, Jesus encountering the man with the legion of demons, um, Jesus calling the little girl back from the dead. Last week we talked about the woman sneaking up on Jesus, touching the cloak of his garment and being completely healed. So chapters 4 and 5, we've had these stories of faith and hope and repentance and Jesus being able to do amazing things because people trust in him and call on him and reach out to him. And then we come to chapter 6. Oh, chapter 1, he's calling them to repent and believe. Then we come to chapter 6. We haven't got there yet. Jesus says to the girl, he says to the woman last week, we talked about this, we made a big deal of this. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Then we come to chapter 6, and all of a sudden we encounter some different people with a different approach, some different ideas about Jesus. We read the passage during the kids' time, but it'll come up on the screen there. If you've got your Bibles, you might like to open to Mark chapter 6, and we'll talk about these things. Jesus is on his way home. And um, there's two different ways of thinking about this. Either he's going to come home as a hero, you know, local kid makes good. That's an English expression, you know, the idea that someone from our little village has suddenly become something famous and everyone's very proud of them. The local kid makes good. But in Australia, we have a thing called the tall poppy syndrome. If you're a new Australian, you might not have heard that expression, a tall poppy syndrome. The idea is if someone stands out too tall, we just drag them down a little bit down to our level so that no one's too big. Okay, that's, that's called tall poppy syndrome. Which is it going to be when Jesus comes home? Is it going to be the local kid made it big on the big stage or is it going to be, you know, this guy's he's, he's full of himself. We need to bring him back down to scale. And so Jesus comes. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. What kind of reception will he get? Where are we? Well, we're upon the Lake of Galilee. This is how far Google Maps says it is to walk from Capernaum to Nazareth, about 42.2 kilometers. You can do it in 9 hours and 18 minutes on the modern road, so that's good. Probably in those days the roads weren't as good. And the other thing to remember is it's all uphill. So the Lake of Galilee and the River Jordan is below sea level. So the Mediterranean here on the side... You go up the hill a bit to get to Nazareth, and then you go steeply down the hill to get to the valley of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is walking home. He's walking uphill. We need to remind ourselves that these are real stories happening to real people in real places. And perhaps one day you could go to Israel and walk from Capernaum to Nazareth just to see what it would have been like. He leaves the area of the lake where all these miraculous things have been happening, and he goes home. When the Sabbath came, he went, began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. This is something that we've heard before in Mark's gospel. Jesus often goes into the synagogue and teaches, and when he teaches, people are amazed. But here, on this occasion, the response is different. We hear the words of the crowd. Where did this man get these things, they ask? What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable Miracles he is performing. They're saying he wasn't like this before. We knew him. We knew him when he was here in town. He was just 
He was a nice boy. He was a good boy. He came to synagogue, but he would teach occasionally. Maybe he led the Sunday school. Maybe he was part of the youth group, but he wasn't something spectacular. Where did he get this wisdom from? Who's, who's he been listening to? He's just been listening to our local rabbi. Who has taught him these things? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? He never did any miracles before. What's this all about? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? We know all those guys. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. A couple of things just about some of the things that stand out here. Yes, Jesus is called there the carpenter. This is the only place in all the Gospels where Jesus is called a carpenter. In Matthew's Gospel, he's called the son of a carpenter. Here Mark just says, isn't he the carpenter? The word in Greek is the word tekton, which literally just means builder or handyman. We have this idea of Jesus as you know a carpenter, like a cabinet maker. The word carpenter has changed in the English language to mean something it didn't mean when we originally translated the scriptures. Jesus was a builder. He was a brickie. Something needs doing, something needs hauling. He was a laborer. He didn't own his own block of land. They weren't farmers. He was a builder. He and Joseph and probably the other brothers would go off and build things. Their road needs fixing, a wall's falling down. We'll go and stuff some, some bricks in there. We'll put some plaster in it. Whatever needed doing, Jesus could do it. And the other thing from that verse is the idea of Jesus having brothers and sisters. We've spoken about this before, Mark chapter 3. Yes, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Yes, Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus. And people who say differently need to read their Bibles, and we'll just leave it there. Jesus has brothers and sisters. They took offense at him. They took offense at him. They took offense at him, and why? It's not explained why. We have to guess why. Probably just from what the things we've read, that this was not a local kid makes good story. This was a tall poppy syndrome story. This guy is sticking his head out. He's making us all look bad. And he's just from that family down the road. Who is this guy? He's got such high opinions of himself. They heard about Jesus. They listened to Jesus. They made some decisions about Jesus. In a minute, they'll take some actions about Jesus. Jesus looks at them and says, well, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his home, own home. And it sounds like Jesus is quoting someone, but he's not as far as we can work out. Jesus is saying this is a common experience for people of God. People of God will often, when they come home, be rejected or be ignored or be treated as someone um, in contempt. And there's certainly a situation I, I find... <laughs> I don't get treated by... My mum's here, by the way. When you say hello to my mum, everybody, she doesn't treat me with contempt. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but if there's a lawyer in the family and there's legal problems, people go and talk to the lawyer. If there's a medical problem in the family and there's a doctor or a nurse, someone will go and talk to the doctor or the nurse. If someone's thinking about buying a house or a car, they'll go and talk to the family member who buys houses and sells cars. If there's a spiritual problem in the family, who do they go and talk to? Not the kid who's the clergyman. 
We don't want to talk spiritual stuff at home. We don't want to have those conversations. And that's fine. Jesus says that's as it should be. And really, that's as it should be. I remember um, when my grandfather died, somebody asked me, will you do the funeral? And I said, no. No, that's the last thing I want to do. I want to go to my grandfather's funeral and cry. I want to go and, I'm going to go and mourn. I don't want to be a clergyman that day. I don't want to be a prophet. I don't want to be the holy man. I just want to be the grandkid who remembers my grandfather. This is just one of those things Jesus says. Yeah, this is, this is normal, he says. A prophet's not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. Because these people knew him when he grew up. And it's hard for them to make that leap. It's really hard to grow up in a church and become the pastor of that church. A lot of churches these days are being handed down from father to son to grandson and all the rest right down. There's, there's, there's trouble happening in those sort of churches, I think, because the people sitting in the pews remember that kid graffitiing on the wall in the Sunday school room. They remember the time he bullied that other kid. and Suddenly he's the guy preaching. There's trouble coming in that way. Jesus says this is as it is. This is what's normal. But he's still amazed. When we get to the end, we'll talk about that. Mark chapter 6, verse 5 says, He could not do any miracles there. And this is one of those verses that's taken well out of context and exaggerated and talked about, that the lack of faith there is like kryptonite. Remember Superman? Superman's got all these powers and, and great abilities he can do. He can fly and he's so strong and bulletproof and the rest. But when he comes near that green crystal, called kryptonite, all of a sudden he's lost all his powers and he's weak. Some people take this picture, this idea, that Jesus encounters this lack of faith and suddenly all his powers desert him. And he's like kryptonite, that unbelief is the kryptonite of Jesus, the kryptonite of God. And so many people have this idea that God is only as powerful as we make him. That God is only as powerful as we worship and pray. And if we want our God to be strong, we need to pray and worship and do those things. And if we stop, he'll get weaker and weaker and drift drift away. That's a modern sort of myth, which is why atheists try to stop Christianity all over the place. They think if we can stop Christianity, if we can stop people praying and worshipping, maybe their God will have less power. Except that, of course, that's not true. The people's lack of faith had no impact on Jesus whatsoever. He still had all of his power. He still could do all those amazing miracles because the verse goes on and says he could not do any miracles there except except he lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. We need to contrast this with the daughter of faith that we read about last week. So if you remember last week, we have the woman who's ill. She hears about Jesus. She makes some decisions about Jesus. She goes and does something about it. Those are the three steps of faith. She hears about him. She makes some decisions about him. She goes and does something about it. This week, we have that same three steps. These people hear about Jesus. In fact, they sit in the synagogue and listen to his teaching. Then they make some decisions about Jesus. They make different decisions to the woman from last week. And then they do something about it. As a consequence of those decisions, they stay home. They don't reach out. They criticize and they complain and they reject Jesus. 
The same three steps. The woman last week heard about Jesus, made decisions that he could be trusted and was powerful, and even his clothes were powerful, and then she took some action. She snuck up on him and in the crowd and touched him. I remember Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Here, these people hear about Jesus and know about Jesus, and they listen to his teaching in the synagogue. But instead of deciding that he is powerful and holy and good and amazing, they say, He's a trickster. He's conning people. He doesn't really mean it. And so their action is to not to reach out to Jesus. Their action is to reject him and walk the other way. But Mark tells us there were a few people. There were a few people in that town who, despite what everyone else was saying, still said, you know what? I'm going to go to Jesus because I need him. Despite all the objections of the crowd and all the rejection and all the people putting him down, these people said, you know what? I'm so desperate to be well. I'll take the chance. And they reached out to Jesus. And so Jesus still has all the amount of miraculous power he had down by the lake. He's got the same amount of power. He's the same person. He's still the son of God. Their lack of faith doesn't alter him at all. Their lack of faith just means they aren't reaching out to him. They have needs and they're not asking for help. They've got problems and they're not seeking the solution. Jesus is the same Jesus at home as he is by the lake. And he is amazed at them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. This is one of those verses that I love uh, because it reminds us that Jesus, yes, is truly and properly God, but he's also truly and properly man. There's a whole lot of deep theology behind that we could argue about, but simply to say that Jesus looked at these people and went, wow, okay. And of course, us Wesleyan Arminians, us Methodists on our side of the evangelical divide go, well, this is a good argument for our side as well. If Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith, it means that these people must have been able to make some sort of decision that surprised Jesus, that amazed him. But again, we won't go into that deep theology today. If you'd like to discuss that with me, I'd love to discuss it with you. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Because they wouldn't listen, they didn't think the right things about him, and they wouldn't reach out to him. This morning I just want to tell three short stories of real people I've met, real friends of mine, who in different ways show a lack of faith. And that's not a criticism of them, I don't want you to think that I'm putting these people down, just... You've either got it or you haven't, or maybe you do. I don't understand how that works. But these people, I'm, I'm amazed at some people. And their lack of faith. The first is a friend of mine who I met when I moved, so I moved to Orange five years ago. And the first weekend I said to Talia, I'll go down to the board games club, see if I can make some friends. Got down there, started playing a board game with some guys, and one of them became my friend. And for the next five years we journeyed together playing board games at my house or his place or at a club or whatever. Uh, and so we had a conversation about all sorts of things, board games and history and politics and all those things that you're not supposed to talk about, we talked about. And he would tell me about his many problems with his many girlfriends and 
I would tell him about my no problems with my beautiful wife. And we became good friends to the point where after five years, just before we came up here, I was able to do his wedding. He finally found a girl who would put up with him and I, I managed to do the wedding. And I said to him, as we're getting ready to do the wedding, I said, look, I'm a Christian minister, which is, gives me the authority to give this wedding, so I'm going to have to mention Jesus in your wedding service. And he sort of frowned at me because he was an atheist, an adamant atheist. The things he would put on Facebook and on social media and the whole thing, he just didn't believe anything supernatural at all. The problem with, with that me being a Christian and him being an atheist, is that an atheist says there's no evidence for the existence of God. And here am I, his friend, who's heard all of his stories, who he trusts. You know, I've, I've, we fought the Nazis together, you know, in these board games. We did all sorts of, we had adventures together. We'd done all sorts of things together. But he, for whatever reason, just rejected utterly that part of my life. I know for sure there is a God and I can testify to that reality and tell people about my experiences with God and he just wouldn't even engage with me on that topic. We could talk about everything else, but when it came to faith in Christianity, he just would not have that conversation. And I'm always amazed by that. Just not even willing to go there. Another friend, someone else I met in Orange, had grown up in the church. Godly parents, beautiful, godly Christian parents. His sister, a beautiful, godly girl. Finished high school, did well in high school, went off to the city to do university. Six months in, something had gone wrong. He came back to the home. He never told anyone what had happened at the university or what had happened to disappoint him. He came home gave up on God altogether, wouldn't come to church, would come at Easter if his mother dragged him along, that sort of thing, and just rejected God and Christianity. It took me probably three or four years to actually get to know him a little bit and have conversations, again, through board games. Board games bring people together and having conversations with him. Got him involved in a couple of little activities at church, helping with the kids because he loved uh, working with the kids and playing games with the boys and things like that. And then on one Sunday, I said to him, not one Saturday after the boys' club had finished, I said to him, there's a camp in a couple of weeks' time and Talia is going. We need a male just to go. To, to so we've got a male and a female leader going to this camp. Would you be interested in going? And he said, I can't go to a camp like that. I'm an atheist. This is the first time he'd ever told me he was an atheist. I knew he was an atheist, but this is the first time he'd told me. I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. We'll have a chat about that one day. A few weeks later, we, I said to him, look, I said we'd talk about you being an atheist, and I explained to him what I, well, my position, that an atheist is someone who says there's no evidence for the existence of God. And I said, don't you see how insulting that is to your mother and your father and your sister? And to me, I didn't say and to me. You live in a house with people who are convinced utterly to the core of their beings that there is a God. And you say there is no evidence for the existence of God. And he said, yeah, you're right. He said, I'm probably not an atheist. I'm probably just an unbeliever. And I said, well, that's a step in the right direction. <laughs> so, but still, not, I was still amazed at him. I told him my testimony of my experience with God and the things that had happened to me. and He just wasn't interested. At least he heard the stories of Jesus. 
But something had happened in his mind that he wasn't thinking the right things about Jesus. So he wasn't willing to make that final step. The third story is of another man I met in Orange. Uh, as a Salvation Army officer, oftentimes we go and raise money. So a lot of my life was spent standing next to a bucket and smiling at people and waiting for them to put money in to raise money for various things. And we would do this in the local Woolworths. And so I had negotiated with the, the guy who, the, the property manager there of the Woolworths, when we could come and hang banners and all those things. And he was really helpful, the guy. And I found that as I was there, we were there every month on the same day. When I was there by the bucket, this chap who was the manager of the building would come over and stand next to me and talk to me. Maybe one minute this week, two minutes the next time, you know, five minutes, a few, until eventually he was spending almost half an hour talking to me next to the bucket. When someone would come and put money in, he'd walk away so I could talk to the person and pray for them and bless them and whatever. And he'd come back. We learned more and more of his story. And eventually I thought, this, there's something going on here. This guy really wants to talk to me. So I said to him, how about next month after I'm finished, we go and have lunch together? We went and had lunch together. He told me his story. He'd grown up in the church. He'd been part of a church, him and his family and his children. Grown up in the church. He's passionate about Jesus. He knew probably knew his, better, his Bible better than me. Could quote chapter and verse, the whole thing. And then his son got sick of cancer and died. And that broke this man's faith in such a profound way. His church had prayed and they'd held all night vigils and they'd stayed and they'd fasted and done the whole thing, trying to pray for this boy who was dying of cancer and then he died, I think he was 13 or 14 when he died. And This man's faith was just demolished. He ended up getting divorced from his wife and leaving the church and never, not seeing his children for years and years and years. And it was probably 20 years after the death of his son that he started having chats to me in the Woolworths next to my bucket of money. I was able to walk with him and have conversations with him and email with him. And he knew all about Jesus. And he had the right ideas about Jesus. He absolutely believed that Jesus is God. But he just couldn't bring himself to make that next step and make Jesus the Lord of his life again because of the tragedy and the things that had happened in his life. He wasn't an atheist. He just had this lack of faith. He couldn't make that final step because of the tragedy that had happened to him. So three friends, three in different way. One who won't even listen to the stories of Jesus. One who listens to the stories of Jesus but has wrong ideas about Jesus. One who knew the stories of Jesus, had good ideas about Jesus, but just wasn't willing to reach out to him. Wasn't willing to do that most important thing. What's the hardest thing you've ever said? Help. Help. Jesus is teaching in Nazareth. He's teaching to his family and friends, the people who knew him as a boy. And for whatever reason, they're not willing to reach out to Jesus. And he is amazed. Now, I believe for my three friends, and I'm still praying for them, I'm still in contact with them in different ways. That third fellow, actually, I was able to do his wedding as well. He married a beautiful woman. Um, I was able to be there and, and just, just to be that 
friendly Christian presence saying, God has not given up on you. God will never give up on you. You Keep on turning your back on him and rejecting him and going the other way. He's still there. He's still there calling to you. All we need to do is turn to repent and believe. Repent is one of those words that also means to change the way you think. Jesus says, stop thinking about me in those wrong ways. Trust me. Believe me. Are there any questions this morning before we conclude? I don't see any hands or hear any questions. There's lots in this passage. It's only six verses long. But there's a lot here. If you have questions, my email address, my phone number, please be in contact. We talk here a lot about our faith fingers, the way in which we can grow in our faith, the things, the practical steps we can do to help what's inside be expressed and make it real in the real world. We talk about our private time, that private time that we spend just me and God study and prayer. So that conversation with that trusted friend, the person who can ask you those tough questions. Like you can say to someone, I don't think you're really an atheist because and have those conversations. I've been privileged to be that trusted person even with atheists. To be part of a small group, to be get together and to read the scriptures and pray and support each other, to go on mission, to point other people to Jesus in lots of different ways. My main mission field is board games. I know you think that I'm supposed to be, the, my main mission field would be the church, and maybe that is, but generally non-Christian people don't come to church. Maybe some of you do because it's cultural and you have to come because mum and dad made me come and all that sort of stuff, in which case I'd love to talk to you and tell you about my friend Jesus. But my main mission field is board games, going and playing board games because men need something to do so they can have a conversation. Have you noticed that? Women can sit around and chat. This is very stereotypical and general, but women can just sit around and talk for hours and hours and hours. Men need to be doing something so they can have a conversation, whether that's doing the gardening or painting a house or fixing a car or watching the footy or going on a trip. That's what men need to do. And I like playing board games. And as I'm having board games, I can have conversations and reach out to people. And, of course, going to church is the fifth way, the main way we grow our faith. In all of these ways that we do this, we need to be constantly reminded to think about who Jesus really is. What have we heard about Jesus? What do we think about that? And What are we going to do about it? We read the scriptures, we pray, we come to church, we listen to messages, we listen to podcasts, we do all those things to think about Jesus. Then we sit and we think and we make decisions about Jesus. Is he true or is he telling tricks like I was doing a trick for the kids? Is, are the miracles real or are they faked in some way? Are his claims actual or is he a madman? We have to make those decisions about Jesus. And then thirdly, to make our faith real, we need to do something about it, to reach out to him. In a man, many different ways we reach out to Jesus, through our prayer, through our study, through our small group, through our trusted conversations, by pointing other people to Jesus, by coming on a Sunday and singing, singing out our faith. We grow our faith. I encourage you to think about those things. 
Who is the Jesus you're hearing about? What are you thinking about him? What are you doing to reach out to him? Jesus' message is very simple. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Change the way you think. Believe. This is good news for atheists. This is good news for agnostics. This is good news for unbelievers. This is good news for Christians who have just become Christians. This is good news for Christians who've been Christians for 100 years. I don't care how holy and saintly you will be. If you've been a Christian for 100 years, on the 101st year, you will still need to repent and believe. Keep on growing. Keep on trusting in Jesus. So I urge you this morning, repent. Believe the good news. Who is the good news? Jesus is the good news. He's the one who shows us what God is really like. So our song this morning to reflect on says this. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. We want to see the real Jesus. Not the Jesus we heard about in Sunday school where maybe it got mixed up with some other pictures of Santa Claus or whatever else. We want to see the real Jesus. The Jesus we read about in the scriptures, the Jesus we hear and speaking to us through the gospels. We want to reach out and touch him. We want to say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Father, this morning we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the words written in the gospels that tell us about him. Help us today to have right ideas about Jesus. Help us to step out, to reach out to him. Father God, thank you this morning for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Help, thank you that because of who Jesus is and what he has done, anyone and everyone can have eternal life with you if we repent and believe. Father, I pray this morning for each every one of us. If there are people here this morning who do not know you in a real and personal way, come now by your Holy Spirit. Touch that person's heart. Draw them closer to you. Father God, for the rest of us who do know you, who are trusting in Jesus, help us to see Jesus as he really is. Help us to be challenged again by his words. Help us to challenge again those thoughts we have about Jesus and replace the ones that are not of you with true ideas about Jesus and help us to reach out to him. Father God, I pray for those of us who are having conversations with unbelievers, with atheists and agnostics and people of other faiths and other religions. Help us, Lord God, to point them in the right way, to be faithful witnesses to you. I pray all this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.